Thank you for being here today. We are continuing on in our Bible Villain series, and today we are looking at the Sanhedrin, which in the New Testament did some pretty bad things, did some pretty bad things. So we will take a deep look at the Sanhedrin today. And uh, But first, I want to ask the question, what was the Sanhedrin? Where did it come from? It actually originated back in the Old Testament. Numbers 11, the Lord said to Moses, starting at verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. Then they will share the burden of the people with you so that they will not have to carry it alone. So the Lord said, find 70 people who can share the burden of leadership, can share the burden of leadership. And so Moses did. And the Lord anointed them, and they became basically a, uh, a supreme court for the people of Israel. Now, there were 70 of them plus Moses equals 71. So the Sanhedrin of Jesus' time was a group of 71 or 73. There was some translation stuff. We, can't, we don't know if there's 71 or 73 at this time. I guess it's 71. 71 sounds like the right number. Uh, men who would meet every day in the hall of hewn stone in the temple. And they were basically the Supreme Court for the people of Israel. And they were all religious leaders. So to be a member, you either needed to be a priest or a non-priest who who was a member of the Levite tribe where priests came from. And you had a pure lineage all the way back uh, such that your daughter was allowed to marry a priest. And so this is... Uh, when the Israelites were taken into exile and for a thousand years before they were intermarrying with other tribes. When I say other tribes, I mean, not people, foreigners, people who are not from Israel. And so you had to have pure lineage to be a member here. And, uh, and if you were a member, you were part of the, the council, the ruling council who made all the decisions. And so just imagine that a, a religious Supreme court, you look at our world today and you ask, or look at America today and you ask, how would America be different today if we had a Supreme Court of Christian ethicists, people who did nothing but study the Bible, and people who, when a case or something was, was, was made, the question was, what would God say about this? What would God say about this? I think it would be fascinating to, to have a, a group like that um, and ask, how would the world be different? Or we could, you, know, you could make the argument, that's what we have. I mean, I don't know the religion of all the people on the Supreme Court, but uh, you know, I would assume they're probably all Christians, or they they claim to be Christians anyway. I don't think there's any way they'd be appointed to the Supreme Court if they didn't. I mean, I don't know though. I honestly don't know. Uh, but uh, but I know that they're not studying the Bible all day. They're studying the law all day, right? The Constitution and and all the laws that uh, that have been that have been made and passed. Uh, but if there was a group that all they did was study, study the Bible, and um, and ask what what would God say about this, uh, I think that 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 might be a fascinating thing to look at, a fascinating thing to look at. So that's the Sanhedrin, that's where they come from, biblically. Before we begin, I just want to say that they weren't all bad. The Sanhedrin wasn't all bad. All the peoples of the Sanhedrin they weren't all bad. First, one of the members of the Sanhedrin was Nicodemus. You might have heard the name Nicodemus before. John chapter 3, 
uh, starting at verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing in if God were not with him. So Nicodemus comes to see Jesus at night. He was impressed by the things Jesus was doing and saying and wanted to learn more. And so he was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin. He came at night probably because he doesn't want he probably didn't want others to see that he was coming to see Jesus or maybe he wanted an uninterrupted conversation and he knew that if he came during the day he was going to continually be interrupted. But he says something, he says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. I wonder, when he says we, who is he referring to? Who is he referring to? Is he saying, basically, I, I know you are a teacher who has come from God? Is he referring to the Sanhedrin? We in the Sanhedrin know that you are a teacher who has come from God? Or popular opinion, the people, the people of Israel of the day? You know, the, we the people... Can, can recognize that you have come from God based on the things that you are doing and the things that you are saying. So Nicodemus comes to see Jesus. Jesus tells Nicodemus that he needs to be born again. Nicodemus doesn't understand that and walks away. That's John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes back into the story later. So Mark 15, Jesus is arrested and crucified and dead on the cross. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council. This is Mark 15, verse 43 who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pontius Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph of Arimathea goes to ask for Jesus' body. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. John 19. Later, Joseph asked Pilate for the, the body of Jesus. John 19, verses 38 through 39. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. So he was a secret disciple. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. So when Jesus dies on the cross, his body is taken down by two members of the Sanhedrin. Two members of the Sanhedrin go to take his body down, and they bury him. Matthew 27, verses 59 and 60, Joseph of Arimathea took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and took it away and went away. Sorry. Rolled the, the stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. So Joseph not only takes the body down, he puts Jesus's body in his own tomb that he had just had made in his own tomb. Now, these tombs weren't cheap. They were expensive. I mean, today, burial plots. I saw the other day that there's a local cemetery. Burial plots are $8,000 a piece. Imagine buying a burial plot for $8,000 and then having a criminal put it taken down, putting a criminal in your burial plot. That's basically what Joseph did. Now, customarily, the bodies of criminals who were crucified were just left for days to rot or be eaten, hanging on the cross. But Joseph says, no, I'm going to go take down his body. We need to take down his body. We need to we need to treat him correctly with respect. So Joseph and Nicodemus, two members of the, the Sanhedrin, who we would say were good people. They were good people. And then a third I want to bring up in Acts chapter 5, we are told about a Pharisee named Gamaliel. So starting verse 34 in Acts chapter 5, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. 
I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So the disciples go to the temple and they start telling people about Jesus and they start doing things and and they, they get arrested and they're brought before the Sanhedrin. And everyone's like, all the members of the Sanhedrin are like, we should kill these guys. We should kill them just like we killed Jesus. And Gamaliel says, no, let's calm down. Let's calm down for a minute. Now, Gamaliel was a beloved rabbi. People loved him. And he had a great deal of respect. He was a Pharisee, not a Sadducee. A Sadducee had, Sadducees had more wealth and more power. But Gamaliel had all the respect. He was the grandson of Hillel who was the founder of Israel's most prominent school of religion. And everyone, everyone, everyone respected Gamaliel. And so basically what he said was, any kind of revolt, any kind of uprising, if it's not of God, it's going to fail. And, and in his speech, he talks about re- uprisings that failed because they weren't of God. But he says, let's see, if this is of God, there's nothing we can do to stop it. And if it's not, it's going to go away. So Gamaliel uh, is seen as, as a good guy, uh, a member of the Sanhedrin, but but a good guy. Okay, now let's talk about the bad. Let's talk about the bad things that the Sanhedrin has did uh, in Scripture. So John chapter 11 is the story of the raising of Lazarus. So if you have a chance to read it, it's a great story. Jesus comes and Lazarus has been dead for four days, and Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. A lot of people saw it happen. Some of them went and told the Pharisees. So, John 11, chapter 47. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. This is verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. They plotted to take his life. Before this, Jesus had had disagreements mostly with lesser religious officials, local religious officials who didn't like what Jesus said. But at this point, this is the, these are the men with real power in Israel the power to decide to get rid of somebody. But do you think do you think they cared about what was best for Israel? Or do you think they cared about what was best for themselves? I mean, think about that for a moment. They just heard that Jesus has the power to bring people back from the dead. Jesus has the power to make people immortal. Imagine what that power could do for an army. Imagine what that power could do for a nation. Imagine the things Jesus is capable of doing, what that could mean for them. But they can't see that. All they can see is how Jesus challenges them, challenges their way of life. All they can see are the negatives. They cannot see the positive. I don't know if any of you watch Game of Thrones, but there was a time, the Night King, where the the White Walkers, he could just raise his arms and everyone that died in battle would just come back to life. And it was like, How can you beat an army like that? How can you beat an army where the leader has the power to bring everyone back to life? You have to kill the same person over and over and over and over. Eventually, you're going to lose. Eventually, you're going to lose. But they can't see that. They can't see that. And so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Now, I'm sure that every court 
in history has condemned an innocent man. You know, every court that has the ability to put somebody to death has has put to death someone who was innocent. That's just my guess. I don't know. I know that that it happened happens a lot. Happened a lot. My hope is that that was done so on accident, right? That the court had a true desire to find the truth and to carry out justice. I'm sure that's not always the case, but that's what I would hope is the case, right? That that there's a desire by the judge, by the court to find the truth and to carry out justice. That's what, you know, the the ideal situation would be. In this instance, this religious supreme court, in this instance, they weren't condemning Jesus because they were lying, because he was lying. They were condemning him because he might be telling the truth. They say, if he keeps going on like this, everyone's going to believe in him. Everyone's going to believe in him because there's no way we can there's no way we can deny based on his signs and what he's saying that he isn't who he says he is. He might actually be the Messiah. But we have to kill him because they were more concerned with the political ramifications, what that might mean for the Romans and their own personal loss of power and privilege than they were with actually killing the Messiah. They had completely lost sight of God's plan. They had completely lost sight of God's promises. They had completely lost sight of God. They were more concerned with the Romans. They were more concerned with offending the Romans than offending God. Think about that. This is, this is supposed to be the religious leaders, the chief priests, the people who were the moral compass for the people of Israel. And they're more concerned with the Romans. They're more concerned with their own personal privilege and power. So much so that they'd kill the Messiah. That's crazy. That's wild. That's evil. That's evil. So they needed help to do it. They needed help to do it. Matthew 26, verses 3 and 4 and 14 through 16. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the place of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Thirty pieces of silver. I mean, they just counted it out for him. It's like, Judas didn't even negotiate. He just took the first offer. Why would he do this? Scholars have asked this question for years. Why would Judas do this? Maybe Judas didn't like the Messiah, that, the type of Messiah that Jesus was becoming. He wanted a more political Messiah. Jesus didn't fit his vision. Judas had an idea of what he thought the Messiah should do, and Jesus wasn't doing it. So they're like, eh, let's just get rid of him. Maybe he saw the ongoing conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders and said, you know what? The religious leaders are going to win. So I'm just going to jump jump teams right now. I want to be on the winning team when this is all over. Maybe he came to the conclusion that Jesus wasn't the Messiah or even a prophet, that he was just a phony. Or maybe Judas was just greedy. Maybe he was just greedy and wanted money. Who knows? But Judas does this. I think there's one other piece to the story that we need to add. John 13, verse 21 and 25 through 27. Verse 21, after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Starting at verse 25, leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one 
to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it into the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. So Jesus, uh, Jesus says to the Pharisees in John 8, verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Matthew 23, verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Jesus is saying to the teachers of the law, to the leaders, to the members of the Sanhedrin, you are children of Satan. Satan is working in you and through you. In the same way that we believe the Holy Spirit is with us and in us and works through us, Jesus is saying to the members of the Sanhedrin, Satan is working in you and through you. And the same thing is true about Judas. This is the work of Satan. You are children of Satan doing the work of Satan, which is murdering and lying. That is who you are. That is what you are doing. Some pretty serious allegations right there. Jesus is, Jesus is not, uh, uh, Jesus is being pretty bold here, and he's not sugarcoating this at all. Jesus has some pretty serious allegations uh, to say to the Sanhedrin. Okay, so through the work of Judas and the Sanhedrin, Jesus is arrested. Now, the trial of Jesus in the Sanhedrin. Now, let us I think we it's probably important to say that it probably wasn't the entirety of the Sanhedrin that was, um, that was working to have Jesus arrested. I don't think Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, Gamaliel, I don't think those guys were working uh, to, having, uh, to have Jesus arrested. But there was enough of them. Okay, so Jesus is now on trial. He's been arrested, and he's on trial before the Sanhedrin. So Jesus remains silent and gives no answer. Verse, uh, Mar- I'm in Mark 14, starting verse 61. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Now, again, I don't think that the entirety of the Sanhedrin was there. I can't imagine Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea punching Jesus. Uh, But they realized that this guy needs to go. They didn't have the power. They didn't have the power to, to crucify him themselves. So then they take him to Pilate in Mark chapter 15. They take him to Pilate and say, this guy needs to be killed. And when Pilate says, well, who should I release, him or Barabbas? It's the members of the Sanhedrin who are there yelling, crucify him, crucify him. So easy we say it's the same people who on Palm Sunday, you know, the palms, you know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're the ones saying crucify him. Well, I don't think so. I think it's the member of the Sanhedrin, the members of the Sanhedrin who early on good, the morning of Good Friday take Jesus to Pilate, and they're the ones yelling, crucify him, crucify him. They're the ones inciting the crowd that is there. 
they're the ones leading leading the cheer crucify him crucify him and so he is crucified now jesus dies we know the story he rises from the dead the church begins uh, lots of things are going on i told you about the disciples getting arrested and gamaliel saying relax well now stephen gets arrested stephen gets arrested and is on trial before the sanhedrin stephen gives a speech telling them basically you know you guys killed jesus you guys you guys are murderers and so um Acts chapter 7, starting at verse 54, and then jumping ahead to 57 to 58. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. They covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city, and they began to stone him. It says they gnashed their teeth at him. Seven times in the Gospels, Jesus referred to hell as a place of gnashing of teeth. So another connection to hell and Satan. They did this without the consent of the Romans. But the Romans probably didn't care. I mean, at this point, they're just trying to get rid of anybody who's connected to Jesus. So they, they couldn't crucify Jesus without going to the Romans, but they stoned Stephen. They just got rid of him. They just killed him. I mean, it's just anybody who challenged them, right? Anybody who, who not so much challenged them by telling lies, but by telling the truth in such a way that it convicted them, that they knew that they were wrong. They knew that they were wrong. And the only way to overcome their past wrong was to make another wrong. The only way to overcome, to put the death of Jesus behind them was to kill Stephen. That's what they thought. Stephen spoke the truth, and they couldn't deal with the truth. So the idea of the Sanhedrin came from God. The idea is a good idea to have a group of people, a group of elders who studied the scriptures and who did their best to interpret what God would have done. It's a good, good idea. But the problem is that people are sinners. People are sinners and they let their selfish desires get in the way of what they are called to do. And the scariest part about it, the scariest part about it is the members of the Sanhedrin thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were doing that which God would have them do. And we see this happening all over the world, where people think that they are doing that which God would have them do, and they're doing the opposite. They are doing the opposite of what God would want. And so when we pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we should also finish with a prayer Lord, help me understand your will. Help me understand your will so that we don't end up doing things that we think would please God when in reality we're doing the exact opposite. I could, could really go down a, a rabbit hole here, but I'm going to stop there. Thank you each for joining me. Glad to have you part, uh, uh, part of our conversation. Uh, next week we will start uh, on Tuesday. Monday is Memorial Day, so Tuesday at 1030. We'll go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Hope you can join us then. If you have anything you'd like me to teach about, uh, please send me a note. Uh, just comment here. Would love to hear from you. And um, we will do our best to uh, keep going as we have these quarantine lessons uh, and doing our best just to connect and uh, to learn more. So everybody have a great day. Take great care of yourselves. Stay protected. And we will see you next week. God bless each and every one of you.